0: Today, on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real love is calling, listen, Truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise.
1: Government is not the solution, the gospel is. And government is not the savior, Jesus is. So we need to understand that clearly. What I am saying, however, is Psalm thirty-three, twelve, 12, which says, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, and that we can affect how much God is the Lord of our nation by how much Christians are involved in that process, by voting our values, and even running for office. This
0: is Cornerstone Connection, Radio Ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Jeremiah. As followers of Christ, we are called to be active and growing in our faith daily. We are to be bold in declaring the hope that we have to others. Today, Pastor Gary will take you to Jeremiah to encourage you to constantly seek forgiveness in your life and to focus more on spreading the fragrance of your redeemed life in Christ everywhere you go. You need to always represent God in your life, especially if you're entrusted to a point of leadership and influence over the people God placed around you. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Jeremiah chapter 46 as he continues his message, Don't whine about it.
1: There are people who love Jesus. They've had a relationship with Him, but they are otherwise not engaged. They're apathetic. They're complacent about the things of God. They're indifferent about doing the Lord's work. And if we've ever lived in a time, it's now... When we cannot afford to be apathetic, Christians must really be engaged and step it up and be a part of our world and our culture and make a difference. And I think that there are four simple ways I'd like to suggest to us that we can do the Lord's work. Because that's what he's saying here Moab's been too sedentary. They haven't been doing the Lord's work. They've been lazy about it. And I made like a little acronym out of the word RISE, as in we need to rise up and really start to. Be more engaged here. And so, using that acronym, here's the first one, I think, is just a simple way, but it's a very important way that we can be doing the Lord's work. And the first one is raising our families in the ways of the Lord. Raising our families in the ways of the Lord. The Lord's work begins at home. It begins with our own families. It's husbands and wives reading together, praying together, cultivating their relationship together, making sure that they're both you know, honoring God in their relationship and in their home. It's parents who are reading the Bible with their kids and who are praying with their kids and who are shaping their kids in terms of their worldview through a biblical lens. It's giving hope to your children about who God is and who Jesus Christ is who died on a cross and helping them to understand about salvation through Jesus and and just bringing that to bear even in your home. That's where the Lord's work first begins. Your home is your most important ministry. Your family is your priority in terms of where the Lord's work starts. If it doesn't start there, where will it start? The family that prays together stays together. We know this, but we've got to be intentional about this because there is this ongoing battle to capture the hearts and minds of your kids. And so we have to be intentional as parents in our home to influence them in the ways of the Lord with the word of the Lord. So raising our families is a simple way we could be doing the Lord's work, but an important way. Secondly, influencing our society. We need to be doing the Lord's work by influencing our society. And I'm going to suggest to you, and I know this causes some people some angst, but I'm going to suggest to you that one of the major avenues, not the only, but one of the major avenues for Christians today to influence our society is through the political process. It's through the political process. Now, I'm going to ask you true or false. I'm going to ask you a question. True or false, people who don't share our values are wise about using the political process to advance their agenda in our nation. True or false? It's true. It's undeniable. They are relentless about using the legal system to promote their ideas. And if we as Christians are complacent and silent, we will end up with a nation that neither honors God nor resembles anything like what our founding fathers had in mind when this nation was started. 29 out of 56 Of our founding fathers who signed the Declaration of Independence, 29 out of 56 had seminary or Bible school degrees, and they understood that Christianity would shape their understanding of the formation of this nation. Our nation was founded by predominantly Christian men with Christian influence to bring about a nation that would be founded on the Word of God to bring glory to God. The founders who signed the Declaration of Independence acknowledged God at the beginning of the Declaration with the words that we are all endowed with certain unalienable rights by our Creator. And then at the end of the Declaration, they signed with the words, a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence. They were creating a country with the freedom of religion, not the freedom from religion, which is unfortunately where we're trending today. And although all religions are welcomed to be freely practiced here it was the christian faith that became the basis for our laws and government john quincy adams once said quote the highest glory of the american revolution was this it connected in one indissoluble bond the principles of civil government with the principles of christianity the founding fathers substantiated ideas based on the bible for things like the separation of powers did you know that the separation of powers came from the Founding Father's understanding of Jeremiah seventeen nine? The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? We need to have separation of powers. They substantiated the three branches of government from Isaiah thirty three twenty two, which says, For the Lord is our judge, the Lord is our lawgiver, the Lord is our king, and it is he who will save us the judicial the legislative and the executive branches were all derived from Isaiah 33:22 they also got the idea of tax exemption for churches from Ezra 7:24 which says you are also to know that you have no authority to impose taxes tribute or duty on any of the priests levites singers gatekeepers temple servants or other workers at this house of god but today christians have either been brainwashed into thinking that politics have no place in the church or the church has no place in politics our Christians have become downright naive and passive about the way that our communities and our country is being hijacked by a progressive agenda that is completely contrary to God. I'm not suggesting that by influencing our society in terms of the political process, that somehow then government will solve the problem of our social ills. Government is not the solution, the gospel is. And government is not the savior, Jesus is. So we need to understand that clearly. What I am saying, however, is Psalm 33:12, 12, which says, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. And that we can affect how much God is the Lord of our nation by how much Christians are involved in that process, by voting our values and even running for office and being engaged in this process. It is an avenue for making an important influence on in our society because those who are trying to advance an agenda that is contrary to what we understand is true biblically, they're going to use that political process. So why should we abdicate our moral responsibility by denying God's rightful place in our home, in our churches, and in our government, abdicating it to those who have no intention of exalting God in those ways? It's important. Number three, the S word on rise is sharing our faith. Tell others about Jesus. Tell others about Jesus. Share your stories with them. People might take issue with the topic of Jesus and the topic of Christianity, but out of an ounce of respect, they'll at least listen to your story. And you can at least tell people what Jesus Christ has done for you. And you can at least be a living testimony of the transforming power of Jesus Christ. And you can share with people what he's done for you, how he's changed you. Now, hopefully they're noticing it too, if they've known you for any period of time, they've noticed how transforming your life has become. And hopefully by living a life that demonstrates the transforming work of Christ, it will raise curiosity in their hearts and minds to want to ask you what's going on in your life. I want some of that. Hopefully our lives are lived in such a way that Christ is contagious in us. This is what Peter was saying in his epistle in first Peter two twelve, when he said, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. And Peter went on to say in the next chapter, 1 Peter three fifteen, he says, but in your heart set apart Christ as Lord and always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. And then Peter adds, but do this with gentleness and respect. Like, make sure that you're not coming across as some abrasive, know-it-all Christian, but just be gentle in telling people, listen, this is the transforming work of Jesus Christ in my life. I'm a living testimony. This is who I was. This is who I am. I'm not content in being this only for the rest of my life because hopefully God's going to even work on me in greater ways. But if you want some of this, then let me lead you right now in a prayer. I mean, be bold about it. And at the very least, if you feel like, well, I'm too intimidated to pray with somebody, at least invite them to church. Do enough where you're planting the seed and sharing the gospel and talking about your faith and being that salt and light in our world, because we need to share our faith. We need to do the Lord's work. This is no time to be sedentary. Time is short. Time is short. And our world is getting crazier by the minute and more confusing by the minute. And so we have to be vessels that God would use to share about him and to testify of his goodness and his grace in our lives. The fourth thing, the E part, is engaging our culture. Along these lines, we all know this, don't we? Our culture is facing a very confusing time. People are searching for answers. They have more questions than answers because we're living in such a diluted and convoluted world. It's the reason, by the way, I think for sure, why there's this rise in depression and suicide in our culture right now. Teens today are saying that anxiety and depression is their number one critical issue. I don't know if you just recently read this that was published by the Pew Research Center. USA Today published it just last month. This survey of a 1,000 teenagers in America between the ages of 13 and 17. Listen to some of these results. 45% said alcohol was a major problem among their peers. 51% said drug addiction was a major problem. 55% said bullying was a major problem. But 70% of teenagers surveyed said anxiety and depression was the number one critical issue facing them today. Why is this? In the article, they actually attribute some of the rise in depression and suicide among teenagers to social media. Because the article says that while people, and particularly just talking about this demographic, while teenagers are more connected than ever, they're more isolated and alone than ever. Because they can connect by way of a phone, and they can do a lot of conversation, they can do a lot of text, they can do a lot of Instagram and Snapchat and all that kind of stuff, but at the end of the day, they're alone, because they're doing all that stuff you know, remotely, and some of that isolation has led to depression and led to increased rise in suicide. I have another theory. That might be a part of it, but I think, quite frankly, when you look at our culture, our culture is like a ship on a stormy sea of thoughts and ideas without a rudder and without a compass. And because of that, there's no direction. And our generation is asking valid questions that they want to know answers to. This generation, our young people and young adults, the Gen Xers and the Millennials, they're wanting to know, somebody just tell me truth. Somebody just tell me truth. Because all this confusion and this chaos in my world, I don't know what to make of anything. And here's the reason why we need to keep engaged in our culture, because we need to remain relevant and relational with the very people who need the answers that you and I have, because the answer is in Jesus. And we need to be able to be relational enough and relevant enough to let people know who are going through gender identity disorder, same-sex attraction, you name it, post-trauma from abortion. People living with guilt and shame and loneliness and suicide. We have the answer, folks. It's Jesus. This is no time to be sedentary. We need to rise up and let people know the hope of Christ. This is why Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. This is why Jesus said, Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. People are wanting rest for their souls in this day. And we have the answer. We know Jesus, and we need to let as many people know about the love of Christ and the freedom of Christ and the truth in Christ, keeping our culture engaged in this day so that they can have that same hope. Well, this is all on that first point about not being sedentary. Don't look at your watches. Don't look at your watches. The second thing that he tells us here that he urges us about, number two, he warns us about a Christian life that has sediment. This is that word dregs in that verse. Dregs. What are dregs? Let me explain real quickly the winemaking process in ancient Israel. They would make two vats, often hewn out of the bedrock of the ground. Uh, In fact, when we go to Israel, I'll point out to those of you going on our next trip in May, I'll point out some ancient places and make the rest of you jealous. But anyway, I'll point out. And there's a larger vat that a slightly higher elevation than the lower vat, and it's connected by a channel or a pipe. And the upper vat is slightly larger than the lower vat. In the upper vat, they would dump from baskets all the grapes that they harvested. You harvest grapes in Israel around August, September. And then in that upper vat, the larger one, people would get in, old style, bare feet, and trample the grapes. There's a lot of imagery in the Bible about God's judgment and the trampling of the grapes and the wrath and the fury. But that's for another study. That's the book of Revelation and other places. But picture people just kind of trotting down the grapes and pressing it to get the juice out. Now, those of you from my day remember the I Love Lucy show. And so you have an image right in your minds right now of that whole scene. If you're young and you don't know that, Google it. It's hilarious. I Love Lucy, wine, grapes, whatever. It's hilarious. So people get in, they stop the grapes, the juice flows down that little channel and The grape juice ends up in the lower vat. And then the fermentation process begins almost immediately because in the summer months of the climate of Israel, it happens very rapidly. Fermentation begins almost instantaneously. And that fermentation process becomes violent, it becomes frothy, and it lasts for about a week. What they would do is keep the vat open. Don't put a lid on it or else the fermentation process is going to blow the lid off. So they would end up putting some of this newly fermented wine in jars, okay? just putting it in jars, and then they would let it sit for about a week so that all of the sediment can rest at the bottom of the jars. You know, you got little bits of grape leaves that make it through to the juice. You know, you got some grape stems. You've got some, you know, toenails. You got some stuff in there. I mean, let's just, I know you're thinking it, right? And if you weren't, you are now. And so you got all this debris. That's what dregs are. It's the debris As at the bottom of the jars. Now notice what God says to Moab. He says, Moab was content to rest on her dregs. She was not being poured from jar to jar. Here's what that's speaking of. The only way that they could filter the dregs was to carefully pour one jar into another empty jar that was clean. So all the dregs, the sediment would fall to the bottom, and then they would carefully pour this jar into a clean, empty jar, trying to not disturb all the junk on the bottom they pour off enough and then they discard the dregs. Well, this jar has a little bit of the dregs, just not as much. So then they do the same process, then into another after it would settle, into another jar, until eventually going from jar to jar, they could do the best they could as filtration to get rid of the dregs. God is saying about Moab, she never dealt with a junk at the bottom. This is all very symbolic. This is why it's important that we as Christians deal with the sediment in our lives. It's a picture, it's a type of sin. Dregs is a picture of all the junk that we've allowed to stay in our lives. And God says, I want you to deal with it. I don't want you to just give place to those sinful things. I want you to get rid of it. And the filtration process for us today is not going jar to jar. The filtration process for us is confession and repentance. It's giving it to God. It's turning from it. It's saying, Lord, I don't want this junk in my life. I don't want this. I don't want to harbor sin. I want this to be filtered out. Listen to the words of David in Psalm 51, verse 2, when he was confronted by his own sin of adultery by the prophet Nathan, David would write Psalm 51. And in verse 2, he says, wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from all my sin. You're only a prayer away from forgiveness. That's why the Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins to God, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Christian, don't allow any sediment to stay. We've got to deal with the dregs of our heart. We've got to confess sin. We've got to get rid of it. God wants us to be clean, and He's the only one who can provide that cleansing work. Last point. A Christian life that has no scent. God is concerned for Moab. She's wine without any scent. Now, I'm not a wine connoisseur, but I know enough to know that bouquet is important to some people. And bouquet is important to being a Christian. Because... Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, the aroma that Christians should give off. And he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we should spread everywhere the fragrance of Christ. We should spread everywhere the fragrance of Christ. In 2 Corinthians 2, 15 and 16, for we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one, to those who reject Christ, we are the smell of death. To the other, to those who accept Christ, the fragrance of Now, let me just bring this home with kind of modern analogy. Talking about aroma and, you know, how we are supposed to smell as Christians. Okay. When you work out at the gym, people can tell by the way you smell. Right? Am I right or wrong? People can tell. When you don't brush your teeth for three days, people can tell by the smell. When your baby needs a diaper changed, everybody in the room knows. Because they can tell what? By the smell. Now, in a positive way, there's good sense too. Good smells, good aromas. You walk into somebody's, you've been baking cookies all day. You walk into that person's house, they can tell you've been baking cookies. They can tell how? By the smell. When you're ready to go on a date, you get all groomed and perfumed. And when you do, people can tell by the smell. So here's the question. When you walk in a room as a Christian, can people smell the fragrance of Christ? When I was a kid growing up, I spent some time with my cousins because they were like brothers to me. I grew up with a sister, just my sister and me. So I didn't have any brothers. My dad's brother, my uncle, Ken, had five boys. No girls, five boys. And my age was right in the middle of the five. So I hung out with my cousins most summers. They were like brothers to me, still are. And my uncle was a Methodist pastor. So he had a parsonage. He didn't have a house that he owned. So they ended up buying a little getaway house so he could have his own home to get away to in the summer, a little tiny town in Rainsburg, Pennsylvania, in Bedford County, Pennsylvania. Little tiny town, Rainsburg. If you sneeze, you pass through it. And they lived in this little, it was like an 18th century house that they bought and had a barn and a few acres of property right on the outskirts of Rainsburg along the gravel road. And every summer, the Department of Transportation would come along and spray tar on the gravel road just to try to keep the dust down and try to keep the gravel in place just a little bit. That smell of road tar is still in my nose, but not in a bad way. You might find this funny, but even today, the smell of road tar brings back happy childhood memories for me of those summers that I spent with my cousins in Rainsburg. Friends, I want us, it starts with me, so I want me, but I hope you join me. I want to spread the fragrance of Christ wherever I go, so that in a similar way, when people are around us, they might catch the scent of something that reminds them of a God who loves them and a Christ who died for them. May we, everywhere we go, spread the fragrance of Christ. And may we be careful not to be sedentary, not to allow the sediment to remain and to spread everywhere the fragrance of Christ to a world that needs Jesus.
0: Thanks for tuning in today for Pastor Gary Hamrick's study on Cornerstone Connection. Pastor Gary has been sharing from the writings of Jeremiah... We hope you'll continue to tune in to dig deeper into this Old Testament book of prophecy. If you have any questions about this series, the Bible itself, or the ministry of Cornerstone Connection, please feel free to reach out. Our phone number here is 703-771-1500. And when you call, let us know how we can be praying for you. Again, our number is 703-771-1500. You can continue listening to Pastor Gary's messages right now by visiting our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc, or by downloading our mobile app. You can find a link on our website or just search for Cornerstone Chapel in your app store. Pastor Gary also has some companion study resources for many of his teachings. These are located under the Teachings tab at CornerstoneConnection.cc and are free for you to use in your own study of the Word. We'd enjoy meeting you, too. If you're in the Leesburg area, you're invited to join us at Cornerstone Chapel for our weekly services. You can get directions and service times at our website. One more time, that's CornerstoneConnection.cc that's all we have time for in today's teaching. Thanks for tuning in to Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know